This is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Wednesday morning to you. I'm Mike McNamara for Wednesday edition of Auburn Radio. We'll do our Ops Intel. Uh, I'll cover some news headlines first. And then uh, Will, Tim, and Jeff will join us. I'm trying to refine what we do and not cover the same ground every day. Uh, Timmy covers kind of uh, uh, general political and, and diplomatic events around the world. And um, Jeff covers operations inside of uh, Ukraine, which is not so easy. You know, the level of what we would call granularity sucks. And uh, we'll 
kind of focuses on economic issues. And uh, so do that. And then normally, based on the previous 24 hours, there's a, uh, you know, there's some questions that, that you know, you start to ask. One of the questions we'll talk about today is, you know, the Russian model has been these 24-month conscript contracts as young Russians, you know, come into the military. What can you do with that? And so you see more and more data points talking about um, the fact that they didn't even know they were going to war, uh, that in keeping with this conscript model and you use this um, – you, you use this labor pool um, in the way that Russian forces have been used throughout history. And that is you don't tell them shit. You know, you send them someplace and they do what you tell them to do. Um, what are the operational implications from that? And uh, I think Jeff pointed out the other day that, you know, we don't see them uh, operating so much at night. Um, I saw a story, where's the Russian Air Force? What happened to it? And so I, I'm not, that's a good question, right? That's a good question. Where is the Russian Air Force? Uh, you don't see it so much. So anyway, um, and when you do see it, I mean, you see them dropping out of the sky too. So um, anyway, so uh, that'll be one of the questions that we talk about today. And, um, and so uh, just, uh, again, things, you know, that, you know, As the world stratifies, if you will, okay, um, as the world stratifies, uh, there's some interesting actors out there. Uh, this morning, China said uh, they will not join the rest of the world in isolating Russia financially. And that's, uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. China is what it is, and the rest of the world needs to see that. And Russia is forcing that, Okay couple other interesting um, nations that are in an interesting spot, predicament, whatever you want to call it. One of them is India, who's been largely silent. The other one is Israel. Hmm, what's that about? Now, both um, India and Israel have always had um, warm relations with um with moscow right they've always danced on both sides of the aisle and so for reasons that involve their own national interest but it's interesting now watching um watching them what will happen so um and as this thing gets comes more and more into image right and and again i think and we'll talk about this a little bit today when you look at the way the Russian forces are structured and the skill level and, and just the density, they don't have the ass to go in and conduct, you know, operations in those cities. So what you're seeing right now is what you will see. And to the extent they would ever move into a city, the city would have to be surrendered to it because the casualties that would get be produced, and again, their two-year conscript army, have they ever done any kind of training at all in this area? So, um, 
So yeah, as, as this story comes more and more um, into focus, right? More and more into focus. You know, you see stories um, that come out, and here's one from today, right? An opinion poll in Ukraine. Eighty-eight percent of Ukrainians think Ukraine will win the war. How, how about that? We'll win. We'll win. And again, if you understand the history of those cities in World War II, those cities don't go down for nothing, man. Those cities, those people, they've done this shit before. It's in their history. Okay? Um, and then um, Zelensky's approval rating is 93%. 90% of Ukraine, Ukrainian people, right, who responded to the poll feel hopeful. How about that in the midst of all of that? Yeah, so, uh, so amazing. So amazing. Um, I saw another picture of a billboard, right, uh, around Kiev. Uh, so an electronic you know, just a billboard that would be used for commercial reasons. And it says this, Russian soldier, stop, exclamation mark. How can you look your kids in the eyes? Remain human. Do not kill your soul for Putin's oligarchs. Leave without blood on your hands. And then there's a note that says, The Ukraine's Ministry of Defense will pay them to lay down their arms. Then I saw another story of a Russian soldier that surrendered to civilians. And he was they were feeding him and he was calling his mom. So again, you see all this. Now again, to what extent? That's the question. Right? Um, that's the question. So... Um, so feel good stuff without a doubt. Um, but the toughness of the Ukrainian people, amazing. Um, the tenacity of their military, right? Certainly outmanned in terms of numbers, right? But in terms of fighting spirit and bang for the buck, Ukrainian military, man. Very, I mean, incredibly impressive. Incredibly impressive. And again, if you listened yesterday, I think that um, one of the things that, you know, Will pointed out was that, you know, that 40, um, that 40 um, mile long convoy, Will said, I had, you know, mine was 20 in Iraq and I was a battalion. Okay, so what is that? You know, if it's longer than that, God only knows what it is. But regiment? I mean, that isn't very much so again these things that you see trumpeted it's there's a reason you should listen to this and that is i think uh, in a lot of cases we'll provide you the footnotes for it and those footnotes uh help put this stuff into context and uh again though the narrative a week almost a week into this is the russians are nowhere near where they thought they would be and what you see on the other side is they've shaken off the you know Oh my God, it's actually happening. And I think what you're seeing by the lack of progress, if you can, can draw a conclusion to that, is the Ukrainians are like, hey, 
we can do this. There's a certain way we have to fight. We have to stay, stay dispersed so their artillery can't, can't whack all of us, right? And then we mass for short periods of time to take on their armor and ambush it, right? And we bloody them, and then we'll disperse again. And so, um, and we make them fight, right? You know, we make them fight us. Don't allow them to use all those supporting arms they brought. And all that armor, what are they going to use the armor against? We don't have it. We don't have so much. So anyway, um, uh, again, riveting stuff. Uh, I did not watch the State of the Union address last night. Um, and I haven't watched it in years. I didn't watch Donald Trump. Um, I'm, I don't know, maybe it's my Iraq and Afghanistan experiences, but I'm, I'm so over American politicians that stand up there and bloviate. And then it, when it comes to enacting policy, they can't get it done. And this this system that uh, that has us not able to compromise, and that's and and they're okay with that shit, you know. And then and in order to pass something, they have to turn, you know. If you're a Democrat, you have to turn to, you know, AOC and the Squad to get legislation through, and they're going to hold it up till they get their shit. So you're beholden to the most extreme elements of your party because you can't compromise. It's stupid. And that's what we send to Washington D.C., and that's what our system is. And we have to be able to do better than that. And so it's just, I don't know, I, I find it disgusting, you know, the the posturing. And, and again, not just because it's Joe Biden. You know, the same thing with, you know, Donald Trump. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know, it just does not appeal to me. Anyway, um, United States Marine Corps band makes this morning official. Uh, I'll go real quick through uh, news headlines across the board, and then the Mensa Brothers will join me, and we'll uh, do a little open source ops intel brief. Grant Newsham has the day off. So um, on this uh, Wednesday, the second day of March, good morning to you. <laughs> dedicate this to uh you know for the foreseeable future uh than the uh incredibly brave people of 
Ukraine and their military. So uh, God bless you all, and uh, good luck and happy hunting. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well i'm very confident that thank you very much if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. On the vodka line, you can't, I mean, again, I laugh every time I hear it. Maybe that makes me a simpleton, but it's funny. Seriously funny. All right. Check the weather right now. Currently in Quantico, sunny in 48. Down the coast at Cherry Point, sunny in 60. 29 Palms is sunny in 50. Kent Pendleton, sunny in 54. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy 64. Okinawa, dark cloudy 61. Manila, dark cloudy 81. And Darwin, got, I don't know, how did Darwin get replaced by Toma? I'm not exactly sure, but it did. 
It's 30 degrees and cloudy in Toma, Wisconsin. In Darwin, uh, Darwin, California, Darwin, Minnesota. I don't know that many Darwins. Currently fair in 81 in Darwin. No, I'm sorry. Dark, fair, with some clouds. And 81 in Darwin, looking for 90 degrees as a high in Darwin. My weather thing got screwed up. How did the Toma get in there, man? Now I've got to reload every one of them. Good God. Uh, currently in the Costa Mesa Newport Beach in beautiful Southern California. And it has been beautiful. Yesterday it was 80. Currently, it is fair and 49 degrees. That's right. What the hell? But later on today, it will be 75 degrees. Tomorrow, 66. Rain on Friday and 60. What? But, you know, just as important is the overnight lows are not going to go down as far. So tonight's overnight low is supposed to be 53. That's nice. Right, tomorrow 55, Friday 50, and then on Saturday it'll be to 47, Sunday 45. On Monday, I go to Germany. What's the weather like in, uh, let's find out, in Frankfurt, Ramstein Air Force Base? How about that? Frankfurt, Germany. There you go. Frankfurt, Brandenburg, Germany? Frankfurt, Frankfurt. I think it's Brandenburg. It makes a difference. How many Frankfurts can there be? Come on, man. Um, let's see. Mostly cloudy in 43 right now. So they're, they're nine hours ahead. So 324, 224 in the afternoon there. And uh, let's see. The 10-day forecast is... 40, 44, 44, 39. So coat would be in order. That's right. All right. That's all I needed to know. But it's not Wisconsin cold, right? So so I got that going for me. All right, we'll check some news headlines here. Uh, top headline in Stars and Stripes, lawmakers call for immediate package of $6.4 billion of aid for Ukraine. Congressional lawmakers on Tuesday called for the immediate passage of a multi-billion dollar emergency spending package to aid Ukraine and warned time was running out to deliver security and humanitarian resistance. Other headlines. According to the Pentagon, 80% of the Russian forces positioned around Ukraine now in the country, but supply issues slow their advance. Hmm. Next, next headline, Russian invasion began with precision missile, precision missiles, but weapons are changing as the siege begins. So, yeah, what began with precision now because they ran out? Um, so, again, uh, the interesting part of, of, of watching this is, is getting a chance to see the Russian military in action not against a peer, but, I mean, somebody that's going to give you everything that you can handle. And uh, I'll tell you that it's not so impressive the more you watch it. 
So those are those are top headlines in Stars and Stripes. Top headline in the Wall Street Journal, Ukraine's Kharkiv front line holds despite bombardment. And again, just again, the Russians are not going into the city. They don't have the troops to task to do that. So they will they will do what they're doing, which is, you know, you know, bomb and and there's stories that you you'll hear when when you know um Will and and Tim come on and Jeff um, about some fighting going on in, in the southern part of Ukraine, I think around Maripol or whatever that city's called, and uh, and they're they're shelling the population. That's how they're gonna. That's how they're gonna do this thing. And so yeah, you're watching it live on TV. So now it's a question: Will they try to do Grozny again? So that. Uh, that's the headline. And again, so if you look at the number of troops, 33 million people in the, in the in Ukraine. Okay. Let me just make sure uh, one of us threw that number out. 44 million people in Ukraine. Okay. And then we talked about um, in Kiev in 2022, that population is, I want to say, 3 million people. So um, so what you have there, and then you have 200,000 soldiers. Let's just say, um, you know, half of them are logisticians. So you have 100,000 soldiers. You have a city of 3 million. And, and then those 100,000 trigger pullers are, are divided into four segments. Okay, let's just say the main effort has a third of them. So 30,000 troops against the city of 3 million people. I mean, you can see the, the math just... So what you're seeing right now, my point, and, and we'll get these guys to comment on it. What, what you're seeing right now is this is what they can do. So that whole discussion we had a couple of days ago about encircled, okay, that's awesome. Now what? What are you gonna do? You're gonna starve them out and let the world watch that? You're gonna bombard the population and let the world watch that? And then how long is will the Russian population support this bullshit? So interesting stuff. But anyway, um, again, the Wall Street Journal's headline: Ukraine's Kharkiv frontline holds despite bombardment. Moscow shifts approach after failing to execute quick invasion. So the plan was, you know, we're gonna blitzkrieg their ass. And then um, we'll either kill or run off Zelensky and we'll install another government. Yeah, I think you could say that um, you could say that that is a gross miscalculation. And now and again, now what you're seeing is I I talked about those poll numbers in Ukraine. They think they're going to win. They think they're going to win. And you see, you see Ukrainians. I mean, there's a I, the biggest nuclear plant in Europe is in Ukraine, and um, you see citizens standing in front of Russian vehicles, groups of them, saying, "You don't want to do this, man. You don't want to mess with this place. It will kill all of us." Uh, top story in the um, um, New York Times: Russian forces move to encircle key Ukrainian cities. Subheadline. 
As Russia surrounds a port city, the mayor is waiting for a miracle. Okay. And the media is, is um, the media is fixated on this quote unquote 40 mile long convoy. Somebody needs to send them an email and explain the math of the vehicle. That would be this. Another interesting story, and again, Jeff and I were talking about this via text yesterday, and you try not to overreact because you, you want to believe it, and you know that you know you have to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but here's a headline in the New York Times. Russian troop deaths expose a potential weakness of Putin's strategy. Videos and photos show the bodies of soldiers left behind on the battlefield, and officials say the charred remains of tanks and armored vehicles. When Russia seized Crimea in 2014, Vladimir Putin was so worried about Russian casualty figures coming to light that authorities accosted journalists who tried to cover up the funerals of some 400 troops killed during the one-month campaign. But Moscow may be losing that many soldiers daily in Mr. Putin's daily inva- latest invasion of Ukraine, American and European officials said. The mounting toll for Russian troops exposes a potential weakness for the Russian president at a time when he is still claiming publicly that he is engaged only in a limited military operation in Ukraine's separatist east. No one can say with certainty how many Russian troops have died since last Thursday when they began what is turning into a long march to Kiev, the capital. Some Russian units have put down their arms and refused to fight, the Pentagon said on Tuesday. Major Ukrainian cities have withstood the onslaught thus far. So, again, um, it's going to be interesting. going to be interesting. A top story in UNSI uh, News. Um, United Kingdom diplomats, sanctions on Russia can be increased if necessary. What are we waiting for? Right? What are we waiting for? And I'm looking to see if there's any, they have any, uh, Turkey has closed the Bosphorus and the Dardanelles Straits to warship. So we can, we'll talk about that when, uh, when the Mensa brothers join me here in a little bit. And so, um, so that certainly is, uh, interesting political development, um, as Turkey seeks to navigate this. And uh, as we watch everybody try to do the Watusi, and uh, but again, there's going to come a point as this thing drags on where nations like India, Israel, are going to get their uh, pants pulled down in public, and they're going to have to, and they're going to pay, they're going to pay a price for their uh, lack of support of Ukraine. Um. Not really anything to report, and it's nothing significant to report on uh, in uh, Marine Corps Times relative to Ukraine. Um, next, uh, top five stories in early bird one, Biden promises more aid for Ukraine, more punishment for Russia in State of the Union address. Two, Russia takes aim at Ukraine urban areas on the seventh day of the war. And again, know this, this is all they got. They don't have the, again, they don't have the ass. Uh, next head, number three, Biden vows VA will do better on veterans' burn pit illnesses. 
Uh, right, right. Um, next story, number four. Destroyer Ralph Johnson steams through the Taiwan Straits. China calls it provocative. Again, whoa, I mean, the, this is, <laughs> I don't know, it's just, come on, man. Why aren't we engaged economically in the Pacific with nations like Vietnam, the Philippines, and, and anyway. Uh, frustrating. Number five, Army activates prepositioned stock for the first time in the wake of the Ukraine invasion. So this story is from Army Times. And uh, the 1st Armored Brigade Combat Team, 3rd Infantry Division soldiers deploying to Germany in response to the activation of the NATO Response Force are being outfitted with thousands of vehicles and equipment pieces from Army pre-positioned stock too for the first time in the program's history. So again, think Fear Marine, maritime pre-positioned ships. Yeah. Army pre-positioned stock too are stockpiles of equipment and gear waiting for rapidly mobilized units to tap into during international military crises. And for the first time, the 405th Army Field Support Brigade's Army Preposition Stock 2 program history, the unit was asked, was tasked with outfitting an entire brigade of soldiers from Fort Stewart, Georgia, who deployed to Europe, who deployed to Europe in the last several days. So you can see the Army um, beginning to flex muscles that they've never really uh, flexed before. So that interesting. Um, overseas operation uh, from Reuters. Russia says it controls Ukraine's Kyrgyzstan So, again, that's a claim, right? Next headlines from Military Times. Ukraine's drone strikes reveal Russian planning failures, according to experts. It's kind of interesting, right? Things that you can continue to see that you didn't think you would. Amid the Russian invasion of Ukraine, a small portion of the defender's arsenal has had a disproportionate effect. Ukraine's handful of armed drones... Videos of their exploits have, have millions of views. They've destroyed surface-to-air missile launchers and logistic trains. They've inspired songs and are a common refrain in videos taunting Russian invasor, raider, invaders. Despite their small number, around 20, according to the pre-war comment made to Al Monitor, the drones have been heavily utilized, according to Ukrainian officials. Russia, on the other hand, claims it has shot down some of the drones. And then there's some footage of it. According to, to Stesian Mitzer, an open source intelligence analyst, the small Turkish-made drones have destroyed at least 32 Russian vehicles since the war broke out last week, though it's impossible to independently confirm the total number of vehicles destroyed. You know, and again, you would, you would hope somebody's going to find a way to replace that stock, to increase that stock, and so that the, the Russians can continue targeting because one of the problems, um, one of the things you're going to see, you know, where does that 40-mile-long convoy go? Can you access, access that with your artillery, with your supporting arms? If you can, it's a pretty lucrative target, right? 
Uh, story we talked about yesterday, no, EU countries are not sending fighter jets to Ukraine. Another story talks about the future of NATO. NATO never looked so good in its life, it hasn't, right? Still hasn't done anything militarily, but doing things for the first time in its existence. And again, things that people like Angela Merkel said, Angela Merkel said would never happen. Never happen, right? United States fear mongering. Yeah. Russia's a part of Europe. Well, it might be, but it won't be without with Vladimir Putin. Okay. It won't be with Vladimir Putin. And so, you know, you have Finland, you know, and uh, countries that historically have, have resisted NATO um, because not wanting to antagonize Russia. So if Russia limps out of, uh, and I don't know if we'll talk about this today, but if Russia limps out of Ukraine, what does the world look like after that? Now Europe unafraid because the Russian military couldn't even deal with Ukraine, let alone NATO. I think that Europe becomes a much more peaceful place, Russia a more docile country, and maybe maybe Russia finally, you know, does away with this vision of the Rodina and, and whatnot and becomes a peaceful power that develops itself economically and, and, and does maybe integrate itself more closely with, with Europe. And gets over this whole Soviet thing. I don't know. A, a grand aspiration, one that, uh, you know, 10 days ago would have sounded as stupid as ever. But it doesn't sound so stupid now. Again, a country the size of Russia with, a, with an economy smaller than Canada and all of it attributable to their natural resources, which means the people don't produce shit. So all kinds of, um, one more story. New York Times is tracking Russia's attack on, on civilian areas. So they, they have a map and they're showing what civilian areas have been hit. So, all kind, I mean, look, in this information age, um, one of uh, Russia's major failures is you know, their inability to shut this thing down electronically. And, you know, you can only imagine um, as video of the president of the United States last night. You know, in the pictures I've seen with, you know, so many people wearing the colors of the Ukraine, holding Ukrainian flags, right? His words. I mean, you can imagine um, how heartened they are uh, given the task in front of them. But again, that poll I said, 90% of them are optimistic. So anyway, all right, without further ado, that's a, that's a quick look at news headlines across the board. And uh, right now, my friends, the Mensa Brothers, on Ash Wednesday, as Jeff Kenny just informed me, um, the Mensa brothers joined me. And uh, number one on your scorecard, probably not in their heart, though, is uh, Jeff Kenny. Jeff? Jeff? And Jeff loves to be introduced first. He's like the first guy of the tunnel. Jeff Kenny! What's up, man? How was the birthday? Good. Very good. Went to a restaurant. I couldn't even finish it. We brought it home and gnawed on it last night. It was good. What did you? Uh, what kind of restaurant? What did? What is a? Uh, what does a very mixed ethnically uh, welded together family eat on your mother's birthday? We went to the Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> Get the fuck! Get out! Oh, no, we did. It was not my choice. It was my mom's choice. 
Your mom chose that? She's Italian, right? Yeah, but uh, they're they're very health conscious now. My my uh, uncle, my aunt, and my and my, uh, my mom. <coughs> so me and my brother, you know, we drove them up there, and that's good. Texas Roadhouse, man, can't beat it. All right, well there you have it. Just mom's birthday this week. Joining me from McAllen, Texas, Tim Lynch. Tim, how are you? Very good, thanks, Mac. How's things in McAllen? Beautiful. Another one of these nice, beautiful days. This is this is the time to be here. Got it. Uh, let me ask you. Quite, let me ask you kind high. of a trivia question. Today's Ash Wednesday. Does it have any particular significance down in the RGV? All the all the palm fronds that are sent around America are harvested here. We are the 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 Ash Wednesday and Palm Sunday kings of the world. Yep. It's a pretty impressive title. I'm something I yeah 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 yeah. It's 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 a man. You go down to some of these uh, more more uh, popular missions and whatnot, and it's a big deal. Right. All these all the holidays like that are a big deal here in the valley. Right, right, right. And joining me from an unnamed suburb of Kansas City, Kansas, is uh, Will Costantini. Will, how are you? I'm grand. I'm thanking God for global warming. I think it was 74 yesterday. Probably going to be in the 70s today. Got to be nice, huh? And so uh, you were just saying that you were going to uh, go down and get your ashes a few minutes ago? Uh, Only if they have them at the uh, Hollywood Casino. (laughs) (laughs) I think they do. (laughs) Sure. I think they do. You could probably take them, get some off somebody down there, though, right? As you flee some of their money, you could even steal their ashes from them. And make Timmy really proud. Yeah, I don't think the Native Americans miss out on this kind of a business opportunity anyway. They're very accepting of everybody's religion at their casinos. And everybody's money. Well, I do I do go to a Native American casino. I also am a Native American, being born just outside Cleveland. And I believe that the people that own the Hollywood casino are uh, have a last name ending in a vowel. So they're likely to be Native Americans, too. I don't think they're American Indians, though. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. Uh, Let's start. So, Timmy, we'll start with you. Um, Developments politically, diplomatically around the world relative to operations in Ukraine. Yeah, we'll uh, start with last night's State of the Union address in which our president uh, announced that the Russian flights were banned from U.S. airspace. So now we've, again, leading from behind, following Europe's and Canada's uh, also banning these flights. This means that uh, all Russian flights um, into the Mexico, Dominican Republic, Cuba, those areas, those are all gone. They, Russia had a lot of flights that were leaving out of Miami, New York, and Los Angeles. Those are gone. And uh, the only Russian airlines that's going to be operating are a few that they've got from the Dominican Republic in Mexico, and they're gonna use those to ferry home Russian citizens who are now stranded. So that's that also means um, that what I what I was looking into that one that one uh, particular aspect, our our airline groups, United Americans, Delta, et cetera, they're not flying over Russian airspace. They're taking a long way around, but one quarter of the flights that that around the globe are cargo flights, and they're all still going over Russian airspace. So that's that's rather interesting. So Russia. Wait, wait, wait. The cargo flights are, but the passenger are. flights are not. Passenger flights are not. I imagine that's got to be something to do with insurance, if nothing else. Right. 
if not a, a stand on principle. But it's interesting that the cargo well, flights again, are, are not. The, the Malaysian Air thing the other, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly. A, that was right there for the, it was the same damn conflict. Right. right. Exactly. Okay. So the sanctions uh, has cleared up a little bit. Uh, we're talking seven banks have been removed from Swiss, uh, of the SWIFT banks. And in conjunction with that, ExxonMobil, Apple, Ford, uh, Mortar, Dell Technologies joining another roster of companies that are pulling out of projects in Russia. The, the ExxonMobil was a multi-billion dollar oil and gas project that they've just pulled out of. Uh, the Russian bond market, uh, adjusting to this rather unpleasant reality, um, the state, the Bank of Russia will block all transactions or payments that are depositories of, or registrars of all foreign clients in, in order to stem any type of exodus of capital out of Russia. So if you're a Russian bondholder, you're screwed. Um, and in conjunction with all that, what's really interesting is, is the oil traders are trying to trade at, oil, at Russian oil at uh, below market prices. For the Urals, it's $18 a barrel. For ESPO, which is something the Asians like as a, as a, as a crude, they're talking about discounting that because the Swedish refiners, uh, Finland's refiners, Texas, the refinery of Valero Energy Corporation, all of them have said they will no longer purchase oil from Russia. Right now, the oil is moving out of Russia, but that has all, uh, all already been sold. That's just a delivery of oil that's been sold. It looks like once that happens, there's not too many people that want to buy or, um, or plan to buy from Russia. And in response to that, the Biden administration was down in the Middle East pushing on, on the OPEC uh, partners to pump up their daggone uh, uh, production, to which our OPEC partners said no. <laughs> that's, uh, so that's the, that's the one bit of news that actually makes sense to everything we've learned, learned before. Of course, uh, just a few years ago, we were exporting fuel, but we're not going to talk about that. The refugee situation is kind of uh, clearing up a little bit in that the uh, European um, rail operations across the EU are letting anybody with a with a passport from from uh, Ukraine ride for free. Uh, the Germany has taken, I believe, 5,000 refugees, and Germany has said that they plan to take as many as who wants to come. So that's in addition to the graphic that you sent us earlier, Max, showing what the uh, neighboring countries are doing. So yeah, that graphic appears, is is yeah. is stunning. I mean, Poland's taken yeah. what like almost a half a million people themselves. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and at the same time, banning Belarusians from coming. That's that's interesting. Um, the sanctions on the oligarchs, apparently there are 26 prominent oligarchs which have been sanctioned. I noticed in a Wall Street Journal a, an article about a bunch of other prominent uh, Russians that have not been sanctioned, talking about how much they got knocked down with this and they think it all should stop and they're trying to save themselves. It looks like the kind of the ultra-rich that they've targeted are... Um, chief executive for the Rosenfleet Oil Company, um, uh, the head of the founder of Alpha Bank, et cetera, the richest man in Russia, Mikhail Friedman. All these guys apparently are under sanction. And the one thing I think, again, to sum this all up, that, that it's, it's remarkable, the anti-Russian sentiment, which is almost unanimous around the world, where you see small-town uh, uh, small um Elected officials trying to de-Russianify things, and 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 everybody, everybody, to include our 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 most obsequious elites when it comes to China, are bending over backwards to distance themselves from Russia. 
I don't see how this anti-Russian sentiment dies down anytime soon, given their current uh, 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 way of battle. And I don't also see an off-ramp off this. I mean, we have, in a blink of an eye, isolated a rather strong and clearly not quite stable superpower. And I wonder where the hell, the, how the hell this is all going to end. And that's that's my review of the stuff going on outside of the country. Got it. Let me just talk, throw in a couple of things that I saw. Uh, second rounds of talks uh, are supposed to happen today. Um, again, I don't think anybody has any grand hope for it. Um, but at some point, they will lead to something because this motherfucker ain't going anywhere. Um, um, Russian Central Bank has decided not to resume training, trading on their stock market exchange as of today, Wednesday. Um, also, uh, from Moscow, the Kamenovniki district, which is one of the most expensive housing districts relative to real estate in Moscow, right? Their municipal council condemned Putin's invasion of Ukraine as insane, unjustified, adding our economy is going to hell. Interesting, you know, voltage, you know, which is an act of treason. Turkey's closed the Bosphorus, and uh, maybe, you know, Will and Jeff, you can wax eloquent on that. Also from... Uh, from Reuters, just probably within the last 30 minutes. Um, the Ukraine war has raised the specter of Russia's first external debt default. Uh, Russia's never defaulted on any sovereign hard currency debt. Um, there's a reserve freeze, and there's severed financial ties. And uh, th their next Eurobond payment is due in on March 16th. So we'll see if they're able to make that. Also, I saw that they're not able to get the financing they need to move their oil. Uh, and I, I saw a little headline on that. So uh, piling on to what Timmy said. Uh, so we'll go to operational stuff. Jeff, uh, go ahead. Well, um, just like we were talking about yesterday, there was some heavy uh, bombardment of civilian areas to continue almost like a terror uh, attack type thing, the, uh, using precision guided munitions and, and uh, rockets. Uh, the way the Russians usually like to do this is, a, is to get their artillery up hub to hub and just blow, you know, both streets away. That's pretty much how they did Grozny and everything. They like to spend all this money on expensive, uh, you know, precision-guided stuff just to kill, just to blow away apartment buildings and so forth. So, but again, they, they, uh, they really can't seem to, uh, to move on the lines of communications they have, the, uh, which brings up another point that uh, the competence – of uh, the Russians, you know, I, I talked a little bit, I texted a little bit yesterday with Mac uh, regarding, you know, the uh, competence of the uh, Russian army and the, as it appears. So I looked into a little bit. I mean, one of the consensuses is, you know, from all the smart guys in D.C. is that these are not conscript forces, that uh, for every BTR, I guess, motorized regiment, you'd say, two of those uh, battalions are made up of front, what they would call top of the line guys and then one of them is made up of uh, those conscript type you know uh, individuals and so uh, yeah this is this might be the best they can do right now and uh, and they're not doing too good the uh, you know the uh, the other thing is um, there's been uh, they're, they're still con trying to uh, to close the loop around Kiev and around Kharkov but they just can't seem to do it I don't think they have enough mass to do that and consequently, uh, 
you know, they're, they're, uh, they're being defeated in small ways. Like uh, they sent in these uh, elite Chechen, um, you know, commandos to try and actually eliminate uh, the, uh, the president and, and uh, they couldn't do it. And they, they themselves were, uh, were annihilated supposedly. That's what's being pushed. And, uh, and again, the, the mayor of Kiev is continuing to, to announce that uh, they've engaged a, a bunch of what they would call enemy sabotage, sabotage groups. And, uh, and, and to that end also, both Kiev and, and, uh, and Kharkov have, uh, you know, uh, strictly enforced, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, curfews. And the point being uh, that uh, anybody who's out is bad. And then it's easier to, you know, do enemy identification that way. And apparently it seems to be working. Um, their problem is, of course, supply. And, and, you know, that continues to plague them. The, uh, I think that uh, the, you're going to start seeing more, uh, more pushing to, uh, to try and terrorize the uh, Ukrainians into surrender because they just don't seem to be able to bring up enough forces to smother this thing. Because the longer it goes on, uh, the worse it is for the uh, for the Russians, so you know that's what we're seeing right now. The uh, as far as the, uh, the Ukrainians, uh, the food and groceries getting short, some shortages, but not as short as we you know we would expect. You know, it's been a week, it's been a week, and, and they're still doing pretty good, but they're starting to have shortages. Uh, the uh, there's the uh, let me see, let me go to. I got a sit rep from a guy who used to work for me, who works for an NGO now. It was kind of helping us out during the, uh, the neo thing uh, with uh, in Afghanistan. But uh, okay, in the capital of uh, Kiev, the, the highway has been guaranteed safe passage by Russian forces for civilians who want to go. So um, one tactic that the Russians used to do is they wouldn't let anybody go. So it added to the general strain. It put on any kind of food supply. Apparently, they're still you know they're still letting them out of there. And uh, when they start shutting it down, just sealing it off and not letting people go at all, or attacking, you know, by either by indirect fire or air, civilian columns, that's an old German tactic, in order to, uh, you know, put a huge strain on, on the uh, food and water supply, then we'll know they're really getting serious. Um, pretty much, uh, that's what we have going right now. The, uh, the uh, what, what the... Uh, um, the, the, what the the government the government of uh, the province of oh, let me see if I can pronounce it. Um, God, uh, Nova Karkova, Kirsten province, and the, and also the the, uh, the the city of Lviv, which is close to the Polish border, are looking to establish a green corridor, kind of like what we were talking about yesterday to transport humanitarian aids and possibly NGO medical people um, in there for, to take care of displaced civilians. But that seems like it's more of, a, of, an out, of an exit ramp than it is an entree for, you know, for uh, humanitarian forces to come in. So pretty much that's what I got so far. The, um, and let me just pile on to what Jeff said. Um, and I'll just read you just, these, these are things that I just, I, I just copy and paste. Um, since I don't sleep very well. Um, uh, another devastating strike in Kharkov. This one hit the, the, the train station or the National University. Um, no military target around. So, um, and then two Russian groups 
uh, totaling 16,000 attempt to bypass Kharkov and advance in the direction of south and east and southwest, but they were both stopped within 10 to 40 kilometers. Uh, in Donbass, Russians focused on Maripol uh, without success, and that is from the Ukrainian general staff. Uh, another thing they sent out was Russians continue their offensive near uh, Kherson, uh, trying to advance in the direction of Mykolaivov. A part of Russian uh, remains in Kyrgyzstan. Small groups operate near Melitopol and Berdinsk. And so you can see, that, again, the Russians trying to encircle and the Ukrainians fighting them off, right? Uh, another one. Russian shelling in Sumy, again, which is in the southeast part. Uh, mm -hmm. And currently street fighting in the city. The Ukraine's military administration has advised residents not to go outside. Sumy looks like the place, and Maripol look like the place where there is the most actual urban fighting going on. Um, Russian paratroopers were reported uh, attacking in the vicinity of Kharkov. Um, uh, and then you see stories at Kyrgyzstan, to the south has fallen to Russian forces, and then they say they've been, uh, it's been taken back. Uh, Belarus has doubled the number of troops near the border, and as Timmy, Timmy made this point the other day, uh, Belarus is denying they're going into your, the Ukraine. What they're doing is freeing Russian forces, right, that are near the border, doing whatever they're doing to be able to go into to the country. Um, another one was the Battle of Sumy has been fought since the 24th with Russians and Ukrainian forces both being present in the city each day with intense urban fighting. And that's the first city that you've seen that. Um, and then this from the Ukrainian general staff, Russian airborne troops landed in the vicinity of Kharkov, attacked a local hospital. There is ongoing fighting uh, following shelling from Russian forces. And, uh, and then this was, I found this very interesting. Uh, and this is from a reporter for The Guardian. His name's Sean Walker. He covers Central and Eastern Europe. Everything escalating incredibly quickly in Russia, as well as Ukraine, feels like there's a period of a few weeks where something extreme, extremely dramatic might happen at the Kremlin, or alternatively, years of darkness ahead for Russia. And then the last thing I, I would offer before Will talks about economics and stuff is life in Russia is deteriorating. And this is from uh, an AP reporter. Her name is Francesca Ebel, and she reports on Eastern Europe from Tunis. Life in Russia is deteriorating extremely rapidly. So many of my friends are packing up and leaving the country. Their, their cards are blocking huge lines for ATMs. Rumors that borders will be closed soon. Russians heard stating repeatedly, what have we done? How did we not stop this earlier, said a friend to me yesterday. So any, anyway, just uh, more, of, uh, more of those headlines. Will? Uh, yeah, Tim talked about the oil market some. Uh, I want to first just clarify, we don't have any OPEC partners, right? OPEC is the enemy. OPEC is the enemy of the free market. Um, and so uh, oil yesterday closed about 106. And I thought the State of the Union would have an impact on it, and it did. It opened today up about 5%. I don't know where it is now. So oil at $106 a barrel. In March of 21, oil was at 60. So we're almost double now. Uh, 
the, the president announced, you know, we're going to do a coordinated release with other countries of 60 million barrels from the U.S. Strategic Reserve and other reserves. So the U.S. Strategic Reserve is about 600 million barrels. Um, you know, it's an economic plan right out of the 1970s. Our true strategic reserve sits in the ground in Alaska, Oklahoma, West Texas, uh, Pennsylvania. So 60 million barrels being released from the strategic reserve sounds like a lot, except for the fact that the world consumes about 95 million barrels a day. The Russians produce about 11 of that, of which they export about six. So a 60 million barrel release from the strategic reserve makes up for about 10 days of Russian exports into the world market. We use, uh, I, I, I just looked up, Will, we use 18 to 20 million, right, barrels a day. The U.S. The U.S. does. So that, yeah. that, that, that's how little, <laughs> that it sounds, it sound, always sounds grand when they do it, right? Not so much. Oh, and don't, don't forget, right, the U.S. Strategic Reserve, when it gets released, it just gets sold into the international market. You know, it's not like they're giving it to U.S. oil companies for free. It just helps to balance out the market. So, um, you know, I didn't look and see what oil was three weeks ago, but I think it was in the low 90s. And now we're trending to 110. Um, and I've seen a polling that people say, you know, people are very enamored of Ukraine, that they're willing to pay more at the pump. Uh, I don't think they're willing to pay $7 a gallon. And the president, uh, while he didn't dig deeper into the Green New Deal last night, uh, he didn't do the one thing that would have really calmed the market, and that is take the shackles off uh, U.S. production. Uh, so uh, just other comments about the State of the Union. Um, very little about China, a whole lot about Russia. Uh, and I, I'm just still trying to figure out what the narrative is. And I'm starting to see the narrative of, well, if we don't stop them in Ukraine, you know, we're going to end up having to stop them here in the U.S. And so I, I, uh, I don't know how fringe that theory is, um, but this... Ukraine narrative has really grabbed a hold of people in this country. Um, in a way that, again, it's just sort of, I think, unprecedented uh, recently. Um, not a lot of other big changes out there economically. Uh, you know, the SWIFT thing is, is pretty crucial. If they cut these Russian banks off, then that will absolutely stop uh, the Russian exportation, and that will drive the international market a little bit crazy. And so, um, you know, we'll see how serious people are. And again, I think that, you know, we talked about wage war on the population. That's the conversation in that ATM line that that reporter cited. That's the pain that the Russian people have to feel. And, 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 and the rest of the world should not be shy about doing that. Um, 
Uh, a couple other economic headlines. Airbus also suspended support to all Russian airlines effective immediately. The Finnish forest company. So Finland, long been, you know, extremely wary of pissing off the Russians. Um, stopped all sales, procurement, and manufacturing in Russia. And, uh, and, and then three other nations have, have danced a very interesting dance. China announced today that they would not impose any economic sanctions or isolate, be a part of anything that isolates Russia. That's not a shock. But again, at some point, China, you know, will pay a price for that. India has also been silent, right? Long played both sides of the two great powers uh, for their own personal benefit. Uh, India has also been uh, quiet. The other country that has long played this, and this is odd, is Israel. Remarkably silent uh, in all of this. So, uh, so some economics and some steering of that. So, I, I, I want yeah, to. I want, on I, Israel, I, let's talk I, Israel for just a okay, second. Okay, I, I want to talk about that, and then the other thing. I, you know, Jeff and I had a kind of interesting exchange, text-wise, about uh, the whole I, the whole Russian manpower model, what it's designed to do, and I want to I want to explain that, and then I want to talk about an article that's in War on the Rocks today, and I'll, I'll send you guys that link if you want to pull it up and take a look at it. But it's a pretty interesting article. Um, written by Jim Lacey, Tim Barrick, and Nathan Barrick. Um, uh, Marine Corps University did a, uh, did a, um, and I just, I just threw it in the text window. Um, they did a war game saying that uh, the war game comes out extremely close to what we're seeing play out on the ground. So with that said, Will, go ahead. Just a second about Israel. And, uh, the Israelis are very connected into Russia in, um, you know, a huge immigration. Uh, uh, think in the uh, 70s and 80s uh, in particular. And I believe that there is still, you know, there's still significant Jewish population in Russia. And I, and I, I sense that part of Israel's reluctance to do any condemnation is a desire to keep that em em immigration line open uh, to those people. Um, it, it also is a little strategic in that in Syria now, I believe that they are coordinating with the Russians uh, when they go after targets in Syria. And so they've got a link there that's pretty critical to their own defense. That uh, it, I don't know if it's a reliance or a very close coordination requirement that really hurts them uh, in security on their border. So I, not making so? excuses, just trying to have a little context. You bet. Yeah, can I, can I say something about that? Yeah. It's like uh, it's almost like uh, like a schoolyard lunchroom. The world community, 180 or so, some nations, all of them want to uh, sound off about how bad the Russians are. And for most of them, it doesn't mean anything one way or the other. As a matter of fact, um, the EU promised they were going to give uh, made a big noise about promising to give aircraft to volunteer uh, Ukrainian pilots, and the Ukrainians ponied up pretty quick. Turned out to be 
nothing false. They're not giving them anything. And so a lot of these uh, pledges of support and everything are empty, I think. Just meant for, you know, uh, for imagery. And, uh, and, and as far as Israel goes, it's, if, it, if something doesn't help them, it hurts them. But kind of dovetail what Will's saying. If it doesn't really help them to sound off, why should they? You know? And uh, it's like uh, if you're a nation that either is not affected by what's going on or would be, you know, possibly badly affected by sounding off one way or another, the best thing to do is, like my dad used to say, sit on your ass and keep your mouth shut. You know, it's like it'll keep you from getting in trouble. It'll keep you from getting a- from getting AIDS. It'll keep you from all stuff, you know. So uh, I think that that's a sign of, of, you know, prudence to not say anything when it doesn't matter. I mean, to just to, to join the caca, you know, cacophony of, uh, of, of people yelling about how bad Russia is. Yeah, we get it. But what are you going to how are you going to help? And to that end, let's look at us and how we're helping. Well, the main way we can help is to become energy independent and rob the the, uh, the Russians, you know, of all their customers. And we're not, we're not. And uh, the president even said last night, you know, it would it would cause too much uh, disruption, you know, the the, uh, the economy and the, uh, the to to mess around with the fuel stuff. So essentially, we're doing nothing. We're doing, and we're the and we're supposed to be the leaders of well, the free I, world. I, you know? I I don't think that the financial thing, when you read that they're unable to get financing for you know, for their export of petroleum. I don't think that's nothing. I think at, at, at the, at the, at the, what do you call it? Will the principles group, is that what you call it? At that level, right? We're looking at, okay, if, if we yank on this, right, then we, we affect this. If we do this, we're going to affect ourselves, you know, domestically. So as we increase this thing, the last thing on the list that we want to really do is shut down their oil production because of its impact on us. Can we see if we can get to, you know, a good place if we just impose all these different financial things? And I don't think that's nothing when you read they can't get financing. They might default on their bonds uh, that are they're, that are that are due their payments due on on March. So, but I understand what you're saying, Jeff. I mean, we're yeah. you know we seem to be once again, as Timmy said, leading from behind. And and uh, I, I I agree and, with your and, frustration. And, and but but let me make let me can, can I just I just ran just Israeli headlines for the last week right uh, two days ago the Times of Israel and these are all Israeli publications why Israel must stand squarely with Ukraine. Um, let's see, uh, next one another Times of Israel Ukrainian forces destroy a convoy of fifty six Chechen tanks. Kill general near Kiev. Um, um, why aren't we hearing that? Why aren't we hearing that? I don't, I'll you tell know. you what. When you want no, to, that was yesterday. I said that one yesterday. Yeah, but when we you did. when you when you want to read quality reporting, right? It's just watch the Israeli papers because they're getting yeah. they're getting it fed to them from someplace, and that someplace yeah. is normally pretty fucking reliable. Uh, yeah, the Jemensa brothers, the Jerusalem. Israel, Israel though, Israel doesn't control their press. That's a pain in the neck sometimes right. for leadership. So the government of Israel is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right uh, from the Jerusalem Post, Ukrainian ambassador Colin, Israel is deporting dozens of refugees. We need their help from Haratz, a Jerusalem. Uh, right. An Israeli website and, and news aggregator. Ukrainian ambassador claims his country aided Jews during the Holocaust. History says otherwise. Uh, right. From the Jerusalem Post, 
The Palestinians are not the Ukrainians, editorial. From the Jerusalem Post, war in Ukraine should be a wake-up call for Israel, an opinion piece. From Herat's, Israel cannot stand on the sidelines of the Ukraine crisis. And one more, European diplomat criticizes Israeli balancing act on Ukraine invasion. So, so but again, it's just interesting. Uh, India, Israel, you know, and China certainly attempting to navigate this balancing act based on their own national interest. Well, yeah, think of Israel, too. Uh, so the Russians are saying that we're going into Ukraine to rescue these Russian minorities. That would that would be the Palestinian description of what the Israelis are doing in the West Bank. OK, so the parallel there uh, does not look good depending on, on, on your interpretation of it for Israel. So, uh, yeah, they got to be careful. Uh, go ahead, Tim. I, I just wanted to make one point as we were talking about the administration's response. During that rather tedious speech last night, the president uh, went off script and started going over and over again how we will not allow one inch of NATO ground to be to fall to the Russians. We will instantly respond. That's throwing a marker out there that, quite frankly, um, it gives Putin some options, such as if he wants to really distract things, make it so that uh, that, that Biden's got to back that up and, and, and see if he's willing to do that. I, I, I just hate to see the ineptitude of our response, which is leaving us open to being manipulated to get our asses involved in a shooting war, which we ought not be doing. Well, and again, um, standing firmly on, on uh, in a very, very bold way, on the, on the least likely course of action is bullshit. Yeah, right? yeah, I, I know. Let me, stand, gives, let me stand up here and be grandiose about something that, that in the spectrum of, of things that may happen, let, let me tell you, the Russian military has their, all they can handle right now, right? Yeah. And so I, I want to talk about um, the Russian um, labor model. I mean, we talked about, you know, the Ameri- our labor model, and we talked about the Marine Corps labor model and manpower models. Um Let's talk about, Jeff made some interesting comments about a uh, number of conscripts, vice, um, uh, what we would call a more professional military. We've seen the stories of, um, and, and I'll read you a couple here that, that I, you know, are, are, are really interesting. Um, quote, in some cases, Russian troops are deliberately punching holes in their vehicles, gas tanks, presumably to avoid com- uh, combat, the official said. The Pentagon official declined to say how the military made these assessments, but they did say, without doubt, these things are happening, and they're happening in numbers that, what we would, in our parlance, break squelch. Um, And then this is something that was read by the Ukrainian ambassador uh, in his remarks at the UN, uh, a text that they got from the mother of a Russian soldier Mom, um, when she said, why haven't you answered me? Where are you? You told me you were in Crimea. His response was, Mom, I'm in Ukraine. There's a real war raging here, I'm afraid. We are bombing all the cities together, even targeting civilians. We are told that they would welcome us, and they are falling under our armored vehicles, throwing themselves under the wheels and not allowing us to pass. They call us fascists. Mama, it, this is so hard, right? And so uh, I want to talk about the, your comments, Jeff, about the labor model and explain to people how much conscript 
and, and we talked about the lack of activity at night. The other thing that, that I, saw, I read yesterday that I found interesting was, you know, the seeming lack of dominance of the Russian air forces. Where are they? I mean, are we just not seeing much of it? And so, um, so let's start with the, the labor model. And Jeff, if you want to talk about that a little bit, then we'll, 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 we'll beat up the other stuff. Yeah, I was listening to uh, General Kellogg, you know, used to work for President Trump. And you're saying that uh, the, the way that they've, they've kind of evolved, in the old days, like when they went to Afghanistan, most of the guys were two-year conscripts. And that was awful. I mean, but some of those guys in Afghanistan, they would discharge them in Afghanistan, and then they'd have to get space aid back to, uh, back to the Soviet Union. It was ridiculous. And they made little, like, criminal gangs. You know, in what what we call Bagram, and you know some of the other, uh, you know, bases that they had there, and so what's happened? He's talking about your basic motorized rifle regiment. It's like about one third of those conscript types, and I and uh, I don't really know how they turn from being conscript into better soldiers, but there's definitely a caste system. But the guys are doing the things that um, that you just mentioned. Those you know anecdotal uh, reports that you just mentioned, Mac. Right. Apparently they. They go across the board, you know. And another thing is, all of these units, and they love their BT, they love their motorized rifle regiment. They're roadbound. I mean, they don't have to be, but they are. Apparently, they're not getting off. They're not. Uh, they're not using the terrain. They're not uh, acting like infantry at all. And uh, I think that's why, you know, if uh, the reports are even half accurate about the number of casualties they're taking, I think that's probably the reason. Certainly, every time we see a film of them, there are very few guys out there, you know, outside. Most of them, and if there is, there's, they're not more than 50 feet from a, a you know, an armored vehicle. Yeah, I think though, it, I was thinking about this yesterday and some of the anecdotal stuff that comes out. Think of what the international press was reporting about the U.S. servicemen in 1969. First of all, how many tens of thousands of people did we have in the U.S. Uh, avoid the draft. Yeah. And by 1969-1970, you know, the professional side of the U.S. military, anecdotally in the press, at least, was completely overwhelmed by the drug-addled, inept, non-fighting part of the U.S. military. Yeah, and And that was mostly, but that was mostly exaggerated. And because they're anti yeah, No, I, Jeff, I get it. Yeah, but the, was, the reporting we're right. getting now about the Russian force yeah. is going through a press filter before it gets to us. You're right. And you know, Do you're I right. think that they're an elite unit? Absolutely not. Do I think yeah. that they got fucked up people in it? Absolutely. Right. Where are they on the spectrum? Hard to say. Exactly. But we know from our own experience if... Right. If the press is against what you're doing, what gets reported is the, you yeah. know, the woe is me, oh, mama, I don't want to be here, yada, yada, right. yada. You're, you're, I'll tell you, and, and the technology of today accelerates the speed with which we get stuff. Oh, so man. by ni- 1969, we were in there. That was our fourth year of having conventional forces in Vietnam. And that's when that stuff started coming out in a big way. Here it is, the, the seventh day. And it's starting to come out in a big way. So I think you're right about that. You know, the, the idea of, okay, here's our narrative. Instead of just trying to do the truth, people, you know, in the press, they say, okay, here's our, 
here's our postulation. Let's push it as a narrative. And they try, and, and if things that come up, you know, facts that come up don't support their narrative, a lot of times they just refuse to report them, right. which is, you know, seems like gross journalistic malfeasance, but it happens all the time. But let me link a few of these things. And Jeff and I were talking about this. Is you know, you can't put it all together, right? But you're seeing enough of these pieces that, that makes you wonder, right? And so you, you look at, you know, Jeff's comment, roadbound, not operating at night, right? And, and, and struggling to make progress. Um, do you put any of that together to make some kind of assessment a week into this about uh, the quality of this new Russian military that had been recast? Lack of money for training. When did we think the Russian military was formidable? The spring of 1945, absolutely. Well, when I think if you review the literature, if you review the literature of the 70s and 80s, you'll see a lot of drunkenness, conscript, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we wargamed against the model and against the doctrine. And the doctrine's formidable because of the size of the force. But I don't know that we ever looked across at, at the Russian soldier. Yeah, you're, are we, by the are 70s. We, covered, we talked about it yesterday. I mean, their, uh, their initial performance usually is not very good. In Finland, I mean, you know, uh, in Finland, in the first part of the, uh, the incursion into Afghanistan in 1979, you know, and then this. And also, remember, remember the horrific casualties they took going into Chechnya, and in uh, and going into uh, you know into uh, Georgia. Oh yeah, you know they, they they it takes them a you know a couple hundred thousand casualties to get their shit together. You know? But but that's the system, right? The system is designed yeah. that with Matt, as Will just talked about. It is it, it understands we won't be sophisticated. But we will overwhelm you with our numbers, and ultimately we will win. And that is their system. So, when, but again, two hundred thousand—that isn't the mass that we're we're talking about in the of the past, right? And and that's what makes mm-hmm. this interesting when you look at troop to task, the amount of ass in there, you know. And if you're the Ukrainians looking at this, you know, a week into it, you know, and now you've shaken the dust off. What what are your conclusions, right? And the polls have the, you know, the, not, not the Polish, but um, I saw a poll today that, that said 90% of Ukrainian people think that are optimistic about the way this will end. And they believe that they will win. And which is, and again, what might that just be patriotic fervor? Yeah, what else are they going to say? But I think a week into it, you know, you've seen enough indicators that says, you know, we know how this is going to go. They can't come in our cities. They're going to start bombing civilian areas, and that's what they're. The only place you're seeing urban fighting is Sumi so far, in any large way, uh, in in that area down by Mirapol, and 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 that will be because they just don't have the ass to do it. And again, what we what you a picture you haven't seen is a Russian battalion or a Russian infantry company dismounted moving through something, as Jeff said, always tied to the vehicle. Uh, for everything that uh, that that has, uh, the the other thing I want to talk about is, um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at uh, the the article in War on the Rocks, or maybe we should save that for tomorrow. Um, Will's got to run, and uh, so should we say that to, say that for tomorrow? Yeah, but- Mac, I, 
I've been screening through it, and it's pretty detailed, and I think that without reading it and doing a few notes, we do it a disservice. Got it. I, I concur, yeah. So what time uh, – um, um, I'm moving from, uh, from Vegas to uh, – I'll be in Vegas tonight. I'm leaving here in about two hours. And I'll be in Vegas tonight, and then I'll be uh, I'll be in uh, Southern California by, uh, by noontime. So if we go in the later afternoon, it would be pretty good. Me, yeah, that anyway. doesn't help. Wanna, that doesn't help guys, me relative to tomorrow morning. Why don't you read it on the plane? We'll record something tonight, and uh, and and we'll we'll base it on the uh, War on the Rocks thing. I won't. I won't even get to Vegas till about uh, twenty two hundred. Oh, okay. All right, Jeff's so, out. You Jeff, might just have to bow me out. Okay, man. Jeff is out for tomorrow. Um, what are you looking for in the next twenty four hours, Tim? I'm I'm still focused on Kiev. I'm glad to see that it's holding out. Uh, um, I I think I think the Soviets, excuse me, I think the Russians are going to ratchet up their indirect fire and their and their destruction, and that's going to get out on the press. And um, I I believe it's just going to continue to bury them. But I, all eyes still remain on the capital city. Got it, Jeff. Next 24 hours. Yeah, up until now, all these peace talks that you were like talking about. Uh, have basically the Ukrainians saying, when you, some kind of noise there. Well, uh, a little bit. He's going to say, look, if you, if you can, uh, the, what the Ukrainians been saying, we will talk in a serious way when you pull out all these areas you invested since uh, this thing started last week. So I think what might happen is they might say, okay, we'll talk about something. And start talking about some of these lanes and uh, the more people who aren't Ukrainian that they can get into Ukraine, the better it is for them. So if they can start saying, hey, look, you want to bring because eventually it'll, it'll morph into you want to bring in um, observers from other countries. And like I'll tell you, at the very end of the Second World War, there's a Swedish guy named Count Bernadotte. He started putting people in there and. Uh, you know, I mean, it took a long time for the Germans to admit they were beat, but probably by uh, about a couple of days before Hitler committed suicide, the Swedes were all over Germany. So, I mean, uh, if he, he says that, you know, international people in there watching this, Red Cross and stuff like that, that bodes well for this thing to end good for the Ukrainians, you know, and, and sooner, hopefully, rather than later. Okay. I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a stretch, but, you know, I think that's a possible outcome. And, and all based on... The effectiveness of Ukrainians, you know, uh, resisting the Russians effectively. Okay. Hey, can I can I add something to to what Jeff just said? I I got two things, and one is be quick because from, because Will's okay, got to yeah, go to okay. a, a card game, and I got to launch All Marine Radio here in ten minutes. All right, from Steve Combs, uh, Steve Combs, uh, former captain, Marine Corps type. Just tell him, please tell our friend Jeff he's confused in the Danes with the Dutch. The Danes don't have any dikes to stop leaking with their fingers, and I'll save my other. Really good comment for tomorrow. <laughs> what? A rare correction of the range man from uh, from one of our loyal listeners. That's well, got, I was wrong about the Chinese whales too. That that's got to be Japanese whales. <laughs> that's got to be devastating for you, Timmy. <laughs> I mean, Jeff, you know, Jeff, no, ta- no, Jeff fact, takes it all in. Just, Jeff takes it all in stride it. and just spins another tail. But you, as a worshiper of the rain man, you—that's got to be devastating for you personally. No, and I missed it. I missed it entirely. I don't even hear when he makes mistakes because he's my panio. I mean, ever since I've known him, <laughs> nothing but love. I don't know why. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Will next twenty-four uh, hours? What are you looking for? 
Yeah, you know, what is the, what's the mental state of everybody there? For the Russians, they got across the border. You got to figure that they were, uh, even though they said we, we said they weren't doing night ops, you know, new environment, it's a real shooting war. You get all fucked up mentally in the first few days. Are they starting to get into a battle rhythm? Uh, and is that battle rhythm straightening itself out with the resupply, logistics support, uh, coordination, et cetera. For the Ukrainians, it's the same thing, um, particularly if uh, a significant part of your defense is, you know, sort of militia. Um, you get that adrenaline rush. If you don't have professional leadership in place, uh, you're, it's very hard to sustain the security, alertness, uh, discipline sort of requirement. And so is either side trying to get a measure of the true morale factor of the other side to try and get to a decisive point or uh, are the Russians just going to say we perhaps we know that our troops aren't good enough so we're just going to grind these people down and we don't give a fuck about international opinion so screw it um, I, at, at some point in the next day, two day, three days, maybe we'll see what a trend line is in those things. Got it. Uh, I have two. Uh, I'm curious to, to see um, some sort of signature of Ukrainian indirect fire, right? As the Russians consolidate around the city, they're going to present targets. Uh, will we see? Is there any rush? Is there any Ukraine Ukrainian indirect fire? of substance because again the russians have what we have counter battery radar you light one of those things off you better move their ass right now because you're going to get the bm21 tac war template dropped on your ass which will obliterate <laughs> my introduction to soviet indirect fire like what is that oh yeah that's what you get when you shoot your 81 millimeter mortars out of oh fuck um but anyway um i'm I, i'm curious what is left of the Ukrainian military, and, and is there any way that they could marshal it? The second one is, I'm, and now I'm curious about Russian domestic ass pain. Can't get money out of ATMs, can't buy food, all those things, and then and, and signs that, you know, you have, so you have one of the nicest neighborhoods in Moscow saying, this is bullshit, man. He's going to destroy us, right? And so does that begin to rever reverberate around the nation, or, uh, or do they fall in line and just say, hey, we're Russians, it's what we do, and fuck it. So anyway. All right, boys, uh, thank you very much for the uh, time this morning. Always uh, one of the bright spots of my day, which gives you some idea how shitty my life is. So, uh, I was going to say, you got, a pretty, you got a pretty dark life. I knew it was coming. That was, that was a preemptive strike. You, you, like put it right on the tea. you put it right on the tee. You put it right on the tee. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our, it's our yeah. cross to bear, Mac, and we do it willingly. Yeah. All right. Um, no, but being we'll, asked Wednesday, very nice reference. There you Thank go. You. There you go. Um, and we'll, we'll focus on the war on the rocks at war game. Because, again, uh, I think, look, even rubes like us who d haven't done the war game, right, we could tell you, okay, yeah, you can go encircle the cities. Now what? How long are you exactly. going to stay there? What are you going to do? Are you going to rubble these cities in front of the entire world? And 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 then 
I think the thing that Vladimir Putin, again, another thing he did not anticipate, right? Germany folds in with NATO and 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 doesn't about face on on decades of policy, right? The the swift thing um, uh, that that again can't, we cannot finance, you know, unless Putin supposedly had been hoarding gold for a while in anticipation of that and things like that, hard currency. So so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out domestically the, the inside Swiss of Russia. The Swiss didn't even do that to Hitler. That's got to sting, bro. That's got to sting. And you certainly can't anticipate that. Yeah. Didn't see, real. Didn't see that. Real. Didn't see that one coming. No. Um, but again, if they again, if they follow through, if they follow right. through. Yeah, that's so, a good anyway. point. All right. Well, good luck today. Happy hunting at the casino. <laughs> Be respectful if they're wearing their ashes, okay? You're mute. Yeah. You're muted. Yeah, you're muted. You're muted. Yeah, I. Uh, I'll give you like uh, very long odds that no one's got ashes. <laughs> All, right. All right, boys, have a good one. All right, see you, mate. Bye, bye. That'll do it for today, Ash Wednesday. And again, um, historical stuff happening. Uh, but I think a week into it, you can see the pieces on the table. I'm a bit interested to read the War on the Rocks piece, which got sent to me, and I, I need to thank him, uh, by a listener asking me what, if I had seen it. Um, and... Uh, his name is Daryl Moore, so uh, lives in uh, Oklahoma. So, Daryl, thank you for uh, sending it. Thanks for listening. Um, make us smarter. But again, I don't, I don't. Yeah, you don't have to be a, a Mensa brother. Uh, as you watch these pieces come together, you know the capabilities of most both sides. You understand a little bit about urban warfare and uh, its strengths, its demands. And then you're looking at two forces that are looking at each other and and uh, to interpolate, you know, what's going to happen. The, the great question is, was, what will the Ukrainian people do? And if in the midst of that equation, you drop their, they have the resolve of steel, right? That changes the entire war game. So anyway, we'll talk about that tomorrow and uh, and the war game and, and what it what it postulated, how it was conducted, and uh, I'll see if maybe I can track down somebody that was a part of it. And uh, um, you know, and, and to that end, you know, one of the brilliant war gamers is uh, not war gamers, but thinkers, and and has had a role in many significant war games is General Van Riper. And uh, maybe I'll see if I can get he and General Zinni to come on and get their thoughts about that so anyway um thanks for listening today uh, my thanks to will tim and jeff for for doing this as we watch this and again on a, on a daily basis try not to focus on the same things move the lens around a little bit and so uh in some way shape or form hope we can contribute to a better understanding of the events you're seeing and the things that we're focused on i think the most interesting part of this now is is what happens inside of russia 
as they watch what they're doing to Ukraine. And uh, you're seeing Russian attempts to control consumption. And, and it never works. They'll find a way. They always do to, to, to find what's going on. Now, whether they speak out about it or not is a different issue. But as I said, you, sent, you had a city council in Moscow saying this is crazy. So anyway, on that note, thanks for listening. Uh, have a great day. As always, uh, I'm Mike McNamara, this All Marine Radio. If I can do anything to help you, somebody struggling, uh, don't be afraid to reach out. It's what I do. All the contact information on both allmarineradio.com and postmaticwinning.com um, comes to me. And uh, if I can help you, I'd absolutely love to. So, headed for Germany on Monday, I think. Fired up. Yeah. Um, so on that note, have a great day. Uh, keep the... Uh, the people of Ukraine in your thoughts and prayers. Keep their military and the people that go into harm's way for them. Uh, keep them in your prayers as well. So on that note, I'm out. <laughs>